We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Here's Hebrews 4. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat? All right. Welcome back again. Uh, just a reminder, bake sale afterwards. Uh, the bake sale is really a means to an end. It is a means to our, our generosity for sending kids to camp that might need a little help, might need a little assistance. And so we've got a whole crew coming to camp. Um, what I was told uh, is that uh, about four years ago, we had like six kids hanging out in church kids. Now we have like 60 kids enrolled in what we're doing in four years. I mean, this is just amazing. And we're trying to send these kids to camp and get them um, continue to grow in their love for Jesus. And so what an amazing gift Pastor Karen has been and church kids has been to this church. Amen. If you're a parent of a church kid, raise your hand for me real quick. There's just like three of us. Okay, never mind. They must all be upstairs serving, I guess, but we're praising the Lord for, for what God is doing there. So, uh, and the other thing is prayer night tonight. I just encourage you guys to come. Um, it's going to be an amazing time eating together, um, a, little bit of, a little bit of worship to prime our hearts, a little bit of testimony to get us focused, and then we're going to practice really what we're talking about today and practicing the um, jumping into the practice of prayer. So I hope to see you tonight, 5 to 7. Uh, kids is upstairs. It's going to be great. Okay, so for the past couple months, four months actually, we have been in an extended series called The Good Life, taking a look at what God says is the best life can be. And you know that if you've been here. And it all started all the way back in January um, with, this, with this invitation, this simple invitation from Jesus to his people found in Matthew 11, starting in verse 28. It says this, it's on the screen. It says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And this invitation that we've been in basically is, Jesus is basically saying, he's saying, come to me and let me show you how to live the right way. Let me, let me show you how to live my way. Take my way of life, my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me. Let me show you how to do what I know how to do and you will find the good life. And, and, and we started this pursuit of Jesus um, with the practice of rest. And then in, in February, we, start, we talked about stewardship and then worship in March and then community in April before finally arriving today with our fifth and final focus, and that is prayer, the practice of prayer as we follow Jesus and his way. And I know the word prayer um, likely leads us all to a number of different assumptions expectations, perhaps cultural understandings, depending on how or where we grew up, maybe in or outside of the church. And so for the sake of clarity, I'd like to just, um, I'd like to define a few terms like we have every single month. So when we look at the word prayer that we find in the scripture, specifically in the New Testament, we see it translated from the Greek word prosekome. 
Who wants to try that one? I practiced it all morning, okay? Prosecome. Prosecome. Which is actually, this word for prayer is actually a compound word in the Greek coming from two different words kind of smashing together to help bring greater meaning. The first is pros, which means to, to, to face forward, to go face to face towards something you know, go towards something, facing something, face to face, got it. The second half of the word is echome, which means to speak aloud, to utter a wish or bring a request. And this is where we get our biblical New Testament understanding and prayer, uh, definition for prayer. It's simply speaking aloud towards someone or something you know. Prayer is talking face to face to the God you know. You might see this card on, on all of your chairs. It says, talking to the God we know. Talking to the God we know. And this is what prayer is. And this is important because as Christians, when we pray, we don't just utter random grievances or wishes abstractly, hoping this divine being in the sky, you know, it might just feel gracious to show us some favor. No, the scripture says that as sons and daughters of God, as carriers of his spirit, when we pray, we can now talk to the God we know face to face, a God who cares for us, a God who saved us, a God who knows us, all the stuff that we've done and still loves us anyway. We can talk to this God, and this is the practice of prayer, talking to the God we know. Now, just like I've, I've mentioned at the beginning of each of these practices, the question really is, out of all the things that we could be focusing on, why is it that we are going to talk about prayer and end this good life talking about prayer? Well, I got three simple reasons. The first being is that as Christians, our primary pursuit is Jesus, right? Thank you, Fran. Our primary pursuit as Christians is who? Jesus, good. And, and guess what? Jesus prayed. And so we pray because Jesus prayed. In fact, the scriptures highlight Jesus praying more than 25 times in the Gospels alone. Praying corporately together, and then, and, then, and then also alone when he would retreat from the rest of the world to spend time with a God that he knew. And so that's first. We're talking about prayer because Jesus prayed, and we're, and we're focusing on prayer because God the Father, in Isaiah chapter 56, he said that the one defining characteristic of his temple, of his house, of his dwelling place is that it would be a house of prayer. Jesus, who is also God, the Son, then confirms this description in Mark chapter 11 when it says, it should be on the screen, when it says this, as, and as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? So God is saying that his house will be defined by prayer, and this is where things get a little bit wild and really rich theologically, because in both of these examples from Isaiah chapter 56 and Mark chapter 11, the house that the Father and that Jesus is referring to are, are literally physical places. They are physical places, meaning the physical temple of God must be a place of prayer because that's where God lived. But after the resurrection, some things shift just a bit, right? After the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures say that God now lives where? That God lives in us, in his people, Ephesians 2, in his house, which means that the temple of his dwelling has shifted from a, a, a physical place to a spiritual body. And we see this shift in 1 Peter 2 and Ephesians 2. Check this out. It'll be on the screen. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by humans, 
but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. And this is it. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So, prayer matters to God. So much so that it, it's not even just something he tells us to do. It's something he says that we actually remade to be. First Peter 2, Ephesians 2. We are a holy temple for the Lord. We are a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. And that's the second reason we're going to be processing prayer. We're talking about prayer because we are the Father's house. And we are a house... And, and this house is defined by prayer. Now, the third reason that we're going to be digging into prayer for the month of May is that for many of us, I would say prayer can be hard. I was doing a little survey throughout the week, and I was scale of 1 to 10. How good are you at praying? Everyone's like, ah, uh, 3 or 4? Prayer is hard for many of us. It can be elusive. It can, and I think if we're honest, we can all feel kind of bad at it from time to time. Like I said, I've only met a handful of folks that would say that they're, that they're really good at praying. That prayer is really easy for them. For the vast majority of people, even faithful, obedient Christians, they tell me that prayer is the most challenging part of their walk with the Lord. But why? Why is, is prayer, why is talking to the God we know face to face, why is this so hard to do? Well, as I've been thinking about it, I, I came to a few conclusions, and while none of these are like empirical, meaning that this is absolute for everyone, I, I think that we've all probably fallen into one or two of these categories from time to time. I would say prayer can be hard, first, because most of us haven't been taught how to pray. We've been taught how to read, how to study, how to give, how to serve, how to worship, but prayer is often left out, and so we don't always know what to say or how to say them or, or what to expect, or what we do. We don't understand the power or the purpose of prayer, and so we just don't. As first, second, I think prayer is hard because in our 21st century American brains, the post-enlightenment brains that crave certainty and systems, we, we don't always know if prayer will work. And so instead of going after it in faith, we lean into the things that we can control, the things that are, that are safer, the things that the things that we can, can handle on our own, and we kind of leave prayer as a backup. That's number two. Number three, I think prayer is hard because of all the times that we did go after it. And we did pray in faith, and we talked to God, and it, and it didn't seem to work like we wanted. I just wonder if anyone here has ever lifted up a prayer to the Lord and, and hoping for the best, and, and what came out the other side was nothing like you planned. I think we've all been on that side of, of a prayer and, and, and so we didn't, it didn't work, and so we tried it, and now we're kind of like maybe a little disenchanted with prayer. Like we didn't know if it would work, and now we don't think it does work, and so we're just kind of leaving it behind. Now that's number three. I think the last reason that, that prayer can be hard for some people, it actually comes back to our definition for prayer. 
And that is if prayer is talking to the God you know, it can be hard to talk because a lot of us don't know the God we're talking to. We assume all sorts of things about God. And we assume all sorts of things about who we are. And so there's no real sense of connection between us and God. There's no friendship or intimacy because we're talking at an idea of God instead of talking to the God who actually is. Does that make sense? So prayer can be hard for any number of reasons, and I'm not trying to, like, weigh you down here. I'm just—I'm here to say I get it. And I've been at each of these stages along my faith journey. But let me tell you, none of these, none of these challenges, none of these reasons are new. For thousands of years and all throughout the scriptures, we see people having a hard time praying, having a hard time talking to the God they knew, a hard time knowing what to say and what to ask for or how to ask, knowing how to approach God and how to listen knowing how to speak in a common language and receive with an honest expectation. I mean, even the disciples, think about this, even the disciples who literally walked with God on earth, even they had questions about how to pray. So none of this is new. God knows that this practice can be a challenge for us. Still, this expectation remains the same, that we would be a house of prayer, that we would be a people led to and defined by our encounters with the one true God that we know him face to face. So all that said, where do we start? Because I, I know that this is what you want. I know you want to be faithful. I know that even, even, even the newest of believers in this room, like you're here because you know that God is real and that he's good and he wants to speak to you. And, and so you want to grow in relationship with God. So, so how can we maybe begin to push past some of the distractions some of the challenges, some of the pride, some of maybe the insecurities or, or, or even the ignorance. How, how, can we, how can we push past to truly embrace the good life with God through the practice of prayer? How can we do it? Let's find out. Yeah? Yeah. All right. If you have your Bibles, everybody, follow me to Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And this passage about prayer, it picks up in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, who is God, is revealing what life in his house, his kingdom, the good life, what it's supposed to look like, and how to get there. And, he, and he's preaching in this moment, primarily to his disciples, but with, with kind of the masses eagerly watching on from a distance as he brings correction, but also clarity to what God wants most for us and his people. And so here we go. This is Matthew 6. You've probably heard this before, but starting in verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for, when they, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, instead, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, don't keep, do not keep babbling on... Sorry. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And pause there for a second for some context. So, Jesus, again, speaking to— he, He's not saying that you should, you should only go and pray in your room, okay? Uh, or that you shouldn't use words or a lot of words when you talk to the God you know. No, Jesus is simply in this moment bringing correction to the outwardly self-centered religious community of his day. 
He's saying, when you pray, don't make it about you. Because it's not about you. Don't make it about how spiritual you appear when you lift up these grand prayers before others. And, and, and don't make it about uh, your nagging persistence to get what you want for your little life, this little kingdom you're trying to build. Because prayer isn't about you. It's about you coming before the God you know to encounter his goodness with great expectation. And so when you pray, Jesus says, don't babble on and don't do it to be seen as righteous. Instead, verse 9, and this is it. This, then, is how you should pray. From verse 9, throw that up on the screen, and we're all going to say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this, then, is how you should pray. Now, I'm sure that most of us have already heard this or recited this at some point in our life, so much that it might even become kind of white noise for some of us. So what Jesus is getting at, what is Jesus getting at with his prayer, often called the Lord's Prayer or the Prayer of our Lord? What's he getting at? Because for me, I would say growing up, I think, I, I think prayer was assumed to be less of a script, right? Less of a script and, and a whole lot more relational or, or personal. I remember when I was in junior high youth group, we had this thing called popcorn prayers. Anyone ever heard popcorn prayer? Maybe it was a Midwest thing. But, but the premise is this. It's like it's that one guy would open up the prayer, sounding real good. And then everyone else would just throw out random little prayers as in between the bookends of the, of the Dear Jesus and the Amen before, before this, like, big, overwhelming, yay, God. And, and sometimes these prayers were just, honestly, these popcorn prayers were just, like, were wild. Like, I remember, I remember hearing things like, please, Jesus, don't let me get caught cheating on my exam. <laughs> popcorn, here we go, just throwing it all out there, right? Or, or dear Jesus, please let me get on go out on a date on Friday with Heather or Christy or Sarah. I'm not sure which one yet, but everyone is just kind of throwing these lobs out to the Lord, right? Casting their cares upon the Lord. And this was, I would say, growing up, maybe my understanding of prayer. And that's no one's fault but my own. But I thought, I thought God just wanted to talk. Like, God was just like, just say whatever you want. And so why is Jesus giving us a prayer to recite? If it's not popcorn, why is it? Good question. Well, let me start by saying that the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is not the end all of prayer, but rather it's intended to be the beginning. The foundation for how we are to approach the God we know. It's a prayer of centering that's designed to bring focus to all other prayer that comes next. And fun fact, if you didn't know, um, this type of prayer and the practice of handing down a recited prayer was actually pretty common in the first century. In fact, in the ancient world, it was a standard practice for a rabbi or a teacher to hand down a prayer to help bring focus to his disciples. So even like John the Baptist, would have likely, who had disciples, would have likely handed down a prayer to bring focus to their discipleship. Pretty cool, right? And so, again, it would have made sense for Jesus to do this, to talk about this with the disciples. The, the difference here between John the Baptist, all the other rabbis, and Jesus is that in Matthew 6, we have, we have God, right, 
literally telling the world how he wants to be talked to. Isn't that wild? We have God telling us how to address him or, or, or what he wants included in the conversation. And, and I think that there are, there are people so much smarter than me and have so much more to say than me that have created categories to help break down this prayer. But for the sake of our community and what we're covering in the next month, I want to I kind of lay out a foundation for what we see in the Lord's Prayer as we talk to God. Because God is specific about how he wants us to communicate with him. And so Jesus says the prayer starts with, really, prayer contains six things, and it'll be on the screen in just a second. As we break this down, we see the Lord's Prayer, including six things that create a foundation for all of our prayer moving forward. We see identity, which then informs our adoration, our focus, request, confession, and finally, protection. This is the roadmap that we see for prayer. It starts with identity, moves to adoration, shifts to focus, builds with request and confession, then finally ends with protection. Protection. Now let's break these down. Let's break these down, starting with identity. So in this teaching from Jesus, he begins with a salutation, like just about anyone. You meet someone in the lobby, you say, hey, good to see you. That's how we see happening here at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. It's a salutation from Jesus for how we're to address God, the God that we know, and it says, it says, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now, I just want you to notice that it doesn't say my Father in heaven, Jesus, right? No, it says our collective Father who is in heaven. And I know this might be a little hard to process, but this is who we are praying to and who Jesus tells us to pray to. We're praying to our Father. And this is his identity, according to Jesus, which then, in prayer, also determines our identity, too, right? If he is the Father, then we are the orphans? We're the children. If he is the Father, we are the servants? We're the children. If he is the Father, then we are the sinners? Now we are the children. We are his kids. We are, he is the Father. We are his children. And this is exactly what we heard in our opening scripture from Galatians 4, right? Let me read this one more time. It says, But when the right time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son, who is Jesus, into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. This is how we address God. Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave to, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And friends, this is our primary identity as we talk to the God we know. We are no longer slaves or strangers or foreigners. We are God's kids. And since we are his kids, God has made us his heirs. Process that for a second. Let that sink deep into your heart and mind that if you are following Jesus, if you are saved by the blood of Jesus on the cross, then you are now family of God forever. And yes, while we are many things before God, we are disciples, we are stewards, there are a lot of things that we are before God. As we approach God in prayer, Jesus tells us to do so from our position in his family, in his house. 
And this position of family as sons and daughters, again, it's intended to inspire and influence every single word we speak, starting with our adoration. Our adoration. So Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does this mean? To hallow literally means to make holy, to set apart in your life, to say, wow, Father, your name is so great. Wow, Father, you are so high and set apart. You are above every other thing. Your works are without equal. Your love is so perfect. Our Father, we are so grateful to be your kids. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. It's almost like saying, our Father, you are the best dad ever. You are the best dad ever, and we know this because of our identity as your kids. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. So hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Are you with me, friends? Prayer is rooted in identity, but, it's, but it starts with our adoration. It starts with honoring God for who he is to you and all the amazing things we've seen him do. And from our adoration, which is number two, comes number three, it comes our focus. Our focus. When I say focus, what I mean is that Jesus wants our talking to the God we know to recenter our hearts and minds on the reality that we now call home. That we are no longer strangers or foreigners or sinners defined by our past, but we are children adopted into his house. And this shift, this change in reality, it must be focused and it must be, be recalibrated in our hearts and minds daily. And so prayer is meant to be this recalibration, this remembering process of priorities and practices and passions and, and pursuits in a world that says it's all about you and chase your dream and build your life and find your truth. Here's Jesus, he's saying, when you pray, when you pray, from your position as family of God, it should, rem it should be a reminder and a moment of focus towards what really matters. He says this in verse 10. He says, your kingdom come. Now, what does this mean? It, it means that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your way, your, ex your expectations, your behaviors, your ethics, your culture, your reign and rule, let it come. And your will be done or, or what you want most, God, you let your greatest dream for the world and its people, let it, be, let it be done. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Where? Here. Not later, not somewhere else. Here and now, in and around me, just like it is in heaven. And again, this piece of the prayer is intended to bring focus from our identity to every word that flows next. Which brings us up to our request. This is where it's building. And I think probably where most of us spend most of our time praying in the requests. But did you know that God actually wants to hear what you want? Did you know that God actually wants to hear the things that you need? The things you desire, the things that you long for, both for you and for those around you. He does. And God doesn't just want to hear about it in the extremes, okay? God doesn't just want to hear about it when all else seems lost, as if you've tried and exhausted every other option. No, God wants to hear what you need every 
single day. He illustrates this by saying in verse 11, he says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. And, and this phrase that we see, uh, it would have brought the disciples instantly back to the, the story of the Exodus, okay? When, uh, when Israel was making their way to the promised land, a time where they had nothing. They had no way of surviving without God's intervention. And so God literally sent the ones he loved daily bread. God rained manna from heaven, a perfect source of nutrition, but it was wild because it only lasted one day. Why, why didn't God put some preservatives in that manna? In that daily bread? Well, it's because God wanted his people to rely on him daily. God wanted to be counted on by his people every single day. God doesn't want to be their last resort or our last resort. God wants to be the first pick for provision. Are you following me here? Jesus says, coming before the God we know with requests should be a daily practice. A daily practice. Philippians 4 expands on this. I don't think it's on the screen, but it says this. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Pray about what? Everything. Tell God what you need because he wants to hear from you. It reminds me of my kids. You saw my boy up here rolling around during worship. I love that kid. But it reminds me of my kids because they ask me for stuff all day long. Any parents in the house, can I get an amen? Listen, they bring their requests to me like all day long. From daddy, can I play Roblox on the iPod to daddy, can I have an ice cream bar for breakfast to daddy, can I have a big push on the swing? And, and, and listen, and even though there are times where I say no to their requests, to the ice cream bar for breakfast, right? My kids know that they can always come and ask. They know that they can bring their requests to me all the time. Why? Because I am their dad. And who are they? They're my kids. They aren't orphans in my house. They aren't lucky to be there. They aren't strangers or burdens to me. They're my kids. They're my Even if it's not ideal to hear from them at three in the morning sometimes. I love them. And I want to be able to give them what they need. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying about prayer, right? That God is the Father. You are the kids. And he wants to hear from you every single day. Why? Because he loves you. And your requests are not a burden to God. He hears you. He is there for you. And even though you might not get what you want immediately, it's because he knows what's best for you, both now and for eternity. So tell him what you need. Pray about everything but do so with confidence from your position in his house. Don't ask for handouts or leftovers. No, God has made you promises. God has made you promises. If you're a Christian, then you have been given an inheritance with the Spirit as your guarantee. So come before your good Father and tell him what you need. Bring your request before God for daily bread daily provision and tell him what you need because he is listening. Amen. Next it says, number four, that after we request, we must 
bring our confession. We must confess. Verse 12. It says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us in all the ways that we have failed to live according to his kingdom come and his will be done in our life. All the ways we tried to make it on our own, all the times that we made it about us instead of us, all the debts that we've accrued from sin and selfishness and disobedience to the God's house rules, we must confess those before God and ask for forgiveness. And we've all got debts, right? We've all fallen short of the glory of God, amen? We've all got all sorts of things that beg for our attentions, things that might be massively destructive in our lives, but, and also things that, that no one might seem to notice but you. But whatever those things are, God wants you to confess them. Why? Because God wants to forgive them. But not as some angry judge in the clouds, keeping receipts and all the terrible things we've done. No. When we confess, when we ask for forgiveness, it's still from our place in his house as his family. As a son or daughter approaching the Father in heaven who longs to forgive because he loves loving us. The book of Romans chapter 8 says that nothing we can do can ever separate us from the Father's love. Nothing. And so when we ask for forgiveness, it's not to earn it. It's not because we don't deserve it. The forgiveness is already there forever if you are with the Lord. Just like when my kids disobey, it doesn't make my love for them or their place in my house any less real. When, I, when we say, forgive us our debts, it's saying to God, I recognize that I was wrong. Forgive us our debts. I recognize how I let you down. Forgive us our debts. I, I, want, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live at peace with you. No more guilt, no more shame. I'm sorry. Father, please forgive me. And again, let me say this one more time for good measure, because I think this is, it, it's so easy to get wrapped up in this trap of guilt and shame, right? So let me say this one more time. If you are a Christian, if you are a family of God, then nothing you can do will ever separate God from you. There might be things that you do that make you feel distant from him, but his covenant promise is that he is always with you. So your confession is essentially your repentance. It's your returning to him in your heart and mind and in your behavior. It's saying, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done in me again. Every single day. And this is confession, which leads us to our last piece of the Lord's Prayer, or talking to the God we know, and that is protection. It's asking your Father to protect you. Verse 13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Friends, so much of prayer is simply asking God to keep his promises to you. Not because he won't, but because we don't always think he will. There is something in us that believes God is too busy to bother with us. There is something in us that thinks God is too great and mighty and important to pay attention to our everyday. But the scriptures say that God's promise, that God promises to never leave us or forsake us, which is why this last piece is so key, right? Because just like in our request for daily provision and direction, God wants to give you daily protection. Daily protection. God wants to protect you and to lead you, not into temptation, but to green pastures, into his peace through his presence. 
Your good father wants to deliver you from the evil one so you might experience the good life, the best life can be. He does, but, but, but here's the trick. You still, and you still have to ask for him. Ask for his protection. Ask for his deliverance. Ask for his direction. Ask him to lead you. Why? Because the father knows which way to go. The father knows which path to take. He knows what you need and what you don't need. He knows what's good for you and what's not. He knows you even better than you know yourself. And he wants to meet you in your everyday, through your every prayer, as you come before him as sons and daughters in his house. And this is, this is the Lord's prayer in six steps. And really the practice of prayer that we're going to be breaking down over the next four weeks, it's simply talking to the God you know. The God who calls himself who? Father. And calls you his kids. This is your identity. This is who you are. And this identity is your starting point. It's your foundation for every single word that you can speak to God, whether you know it or not. From adoration to focus, your requests, your confession, and your appeal for protection, it all flows from, from who God is and who we are in return, and all the promises that he has made us as his children. So let us, Hebrews chapter 4, let us come boldly before the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So let us come boldly, like my kids breaking into my bedroom at 3 in the morning asking for ice cream. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, because there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Amen? So as we close today, again, I would love for you to come tonight. Uh, we're going to be practicing the Lord's Prayer together as we, as we break down these six sections as a community, okay? And I just encourage you to come as we honor God as his kids by asking for focus, for requests, confessions, asking for protection, as we talk to the God that we, that we know. From five to seven, I encourage you to be there. It's gonna be great. But whether you can or not, I, I know that this, this life is full. Here's, here's my challenge for you in the coming week. So every morning in the next week, I just, if you're gonna grab one of these cards off of your chair, you might see it around you, and, and I need you to just kind of flap them around like a, like a ceiling fan, okay? I need to hear it. I need to hear it. Fran, come on, I need to hear it. Where are you? There we go. <laughs> Here's my challenge for you. Every morning, before you look at your phone, every morning before you turn on the news, every morning before you brush your teeth, I know that might be a shift, as you're beginning a new day, start by talking to the God you know in the Lord's Prayer. Read it, recite it, expand on it if you want. It will likely take you 23 seconds to do. Start your day with the Lord's Prayer and bring this rhythm of talking to God into your everyday life and see what happens. Give yourself to this practice for the next few weeks and pay attention to how your faith grows. Pay attention to how, your, how the fruit of the Spirit of God that, 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 that lives in you starts to grow in your life. Pay attention to the hope that you find. Pay attention to the optimism that you begin to exude as you ask our Father in heaven, to come and move in big ways. 
So give yourself to the practice for the next couple weeks. Do it in the morning, say it out loud. Do it at lunch, do it before bed, do it with the kids at dinner, practice it as a family, and watch, literally, watch the peace of God begin to fill your house. And that is the first challenge that I have for you in this practice of prayer. So take the card with you and start talking to the God you know. The Lord's Prayer is right on the back. Put it under your pillow. Put it in the bathroom mirror. Do whatever you have to do to start, carry, and end your day with this good news of what Jesus has promised. And over the next few weeks, we'll be expanding on this, but the Lord's Prayer, I need you to know, is never something that you grow out of. It's never... It's never, it's never something that you graduate out of in your prayer. It's how Jesus told us to pray, so let us follow him. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we go? And we're just going to pray this together as a community. Again, I hope to see you tonight. But let us go with this encouragement today from Matthew chapter 6. You can read it off the cards. It'll also be on the screen. It says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we welcome you, we thank you. We approach you as kids before a good father today and we ask that you would grow our faith that you'd meet us in this, in this prayer that Jesus, that you have given us. Spirit, we ask that you would move in power through us, that you dwell in us again and fill us up to be carriers of your good news in the world. Jesus, we want more, we want to encounter you in new ways. And so, Father, we come before you today and we ask that you would move, that you would dwell in us again, that you would come before us and fill us up so we might be your people, so we might grow in faith and obedience together. Our Father in heaven, your name is so great. Your kingdom come in us. Your will be done around us, just like it is in heaven. And lead us not into temptation, Father, but protect us, deliver us, and carry us away from the past so we might live as your kids in the present. And it's in your name that we pray, the name above all names, the name of Jesus, and we all said, Amen. Amen. So I hope to see you tonight, okay? Um, if not, grab this. Lastly, go be generous with the bake sale, okay? Even if you don't want it, go and be generous. We've got to send these kids to camp. Love you. Have a great week.